This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hello and welcome back to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Max Carlin. Max, how's it going today? I'm doing all right, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well. And today we have, I believe, a, a first timer. He's been on a couple shows with other people, but this is his first solo appearance. Uh, our friend uh, Jake Rosen. Uh, so Jake, how's it going? I'm doing well. I appreciate you guys having me. I'm excited to talk some 2021 draft. The wait is finally over. Football's in full effect. With many teams strutting their stuff, you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, uh, so we have a bunch of topics to go over, players to cover from you know the past week of games and, and more. So why don't we just get into it? Sure. Yeah, so <clears throat> let's start at the very top. Let's start with Cade um, and kind of Jalen Suggs, I guess. But on the, the more general topic of... of big initiators and sort of just evaluating that Cade performance against Oral Roberts, um, which was absurd. Ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Even, I mean, yeah, of course the caveat for competition level, but just wa- watching Cade, um, I think you see how being a, a six, seven primary handler, how you have access to passes that guys who are more traditionally sized don't, um, and if you're someone like Cade, who is such an adept manipulator, how you can then use the, the, these windows that you then open up with your size to just completely wreak havoc on the defense. Um, so like, it's as simple as, as, you know, Cade gathers the ball in a specific way and just looks over the top and it's an over the top pass in, in pick and roll. That's not necessarily viable if you're six foot three, but for Cade, it's there. And then with his eyes, he can get he can get like a defender to commit on the tag, and then boom, the kickout is there because he has the ability to con- to contort off of that and the strength to get the ball there with crazy velocity still. And one one of the things that I really have appreciated about Kate, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but that he's so good, he's been so good setting guys up perfectly to shoot. So he's he's it's either you know being passed directly into a guy's shooting pocket or like taking an extra step and it's a perfect bounce directly into the guy's shooting pocket. He's just like, or or the timing is absolutely perfect for a guy running off of an off ball screen 
and it's perfectly timed so that he can hop into the shot. It's just like he's so masterful at everything, and that that extends beyond like he he re- very much does what Suggs did in that in that Kansas game um, that that I think we definitely raved about as we should have because it was it was incredible. It was just pure mastery of timing and pace and just manipulating these windows. Cade does that, but then can also win in all these different ways with his size, with his crazy strength, like we saw against Texas Southern, that he just bullied everyone, um, and can win with a with a crazy handle. Um, he really is just such an incredibly complete creator prospect. Um, and I think it's 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 really like what makes Cade the number one, the clear, clear number one in this class, as opposed to putting Jalen Green in that con- or Jalen Suggs rather in that in that conversation, is that where Suggs, <clears throat> with the just incredible mental mastery, can have a performance like the Kansas game. Cade does all of that, and then can win in five, six, seven different other ways on the same exact possession. Yeah, yeah. I so I really want to reiterate like the timing thing. I sent out a tweet yesterday after watching the Oakland game and basically hit on the fact that it's like Cade always is passing with a purpose. It's he's never gonna swing it just to swing it or hit the roller because he's supposed to hit the roller. Like when I'm watching him, it's really reminiscent of like a quarterback running a read option. Like he always identifies the defensive end that is going to play either play him or the running back that he can pitch it to. And like quarterbacks who are really good at running the read option, they will literally go until the last possible second and the ball will like just pop out. And then the running backs off down the sideline. Like that's how I feel when I watch Cade pass. It's like he waits until the last possible second. So he can draw that defender that much further away from his teammate and the window is that much bigger for them to shoot. And like I recently just talked about passing windows and just windows in general a lot. And no one creates bigger windows for their teammates than Kate Cunningham. It's absolutely obscene. And like there's two aspects to that. It lets what we talked about, the mental side, just him being an insanely intelligent basketball player. And then there's one pass that I have in particular, like where he really just like leverages his size. And with LaMelo, this was something that I saw last year. I think we all saw like in my piece with the mellow, I wrote like an ent- a few lines about his specific like throwback pass, like over his shoulder. He loved doing it, like getting downhill and then throwing it back over his shoulder to a corner shooter, to the pop shooter. And why that was so effective is because he's simply six seven, and he can see over his defenders. You can see over the guy trailing his screen. And Cade is like that the same way. Like I, don't, I know you guys. Did you guys both watch the Oakland game? Yeah, so, yeah, I did. I, I haven't watched the Oakland game. So I, I yeah. yeah. So I'm sure you've seen this clip that like he'll he rips down the right hand wing and he kind of like runs into three defenders, takes like a pound dribble, and then whips a, like a live drill pass to a shooter on like the opposite left wing area. And basically, it was it looks like a simple pass for him because it's Cade and he makes look he makes extremely difficult things look way too easy, but that was just a scenario where everyone guarding him was 6-4 and he was 6-7. So, he had the ability to just see it and rise up and fire it and I don't know, like he's so far head and shoulders above everyone else in this class to me and that's no knock on Suggs. I I've been wildly impressed by him, by Evan Mobley, but when you get someone like Cade, it's not a question to me. Yeah, I think it's easy to kind of underappreciate the like just like how accurate he is of a passer. That's that's probably his least flashy p- 
passing tool, but it's one of the most important. And it's truly absurd, like how cons- like like Max mentioned, how consistent he is um, hitting shooting pockets and how money he is hitting lobs. Um, I mean, I mean, I think there, like, there was a pass in the in the Oral Roberts game where he like perfectly placed a lob high, high and away where only the, the his his big man could catch it. And there's just there's just routine like that. I mean, you'll see the the flashy passes where he like contorts in in midair and and twists and and fires a one handed pass right in the shooting pocket. Just ridiculous, unbelievable stuff like that. But just the, the consistency with with which he he carves up defenses. Um, especially in that Oakland game, which I think was his best overall passing game of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, he just like totally just eviscerated that zone um, all all game. Like, like, like it was truly um, it, like truly would have been like a 20 assist game if, if his teammates were hitting shots. Like it was, it was an unbelievable performance. Uh, but yeah, it's just like the, the blending together of his passing and his slashing gravity because you see how teammate, you see how defenses defend him with just all all of the help, and he's such a gifted slasher as well. Like 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 we said, like it's 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 such a diverse slashing attack. It's not just the handle or the strength. It's how he blends it all together. How he is adept at lowering his shoulder to generate leverage and and further take advantage of his strength. Uh, it's how his his pull up his pull up looks really good to start the year. Like he's been nailing pull-up threes um and the shot looks great and i, I mean there's it seems like i mean he's shooting like 87 percent from the line on super high volume and is, is knocking down pull-up threes it seems like there's like i mean as we've kind of expected he's going to be an awesome shooter just like a totally complete creator prospect yeah i mean there's truly never was and never will be a discussion around the top prospect and that's not even to mention his defense which is just awesome like he's a, a genius team defender and and is like playing playing mind games with 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 offenses at this point. It's truly remarkable for someone his age doing what he's doing. Like it's it's unbelievable. It all yeah. is. Defensively, I think he he looks a little slow sometimes, but I think team defense has been really really good with him. Like his his stunts are perfect and and like very frequent. Um, it, he rim protection is starting to show up. Uh, I I I I really like what I've seen from him defensively, and then. Yeah, it's it really it's just that combination of he he is incredibly physically talented uh, and having that intellectual mastery. Uh, it's just like he's just so technically proficient. And I was I saw this when I, was, I was watched a couple of Moody games recently too. Uh, and of course they they played together at Montpair. Um and they're both just like so technically well rounded and proficient from like a a footwork standpoint. Really on 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 both ends. Um, and it, I think it's just very striking for for young wings to like ha- have that footwork attacking off the catch and attacking off the dribble and shooting off the move. It's just it's really really impressive and, and I, definitely a testament to to the development that they they um they experienced at, at Montverde. Um, yeah, that Caden at, at the end of that Oral Roberts game, um, I, I sent Ben a, a compilation of clips. He really just looked like Luca. Like it, it, it was a, yeah. a combination of it's because it's not just the change of pace; it's the like the specific rhythm that Luca has with like a back and forth. And so it's like it's it's like a deceleration and then a pullback and then exploding forward and then 
you're yeah. you're you're driving through contact. With he just hard, has so many counters. Yeah, like, with a hard like one-two deceleration, and you can finish the runner through contact and the foul, the dead leg three. Like he, the dead he leg really, three. Was just, <laughs> it was so nasty, man. And I mean, he just he really just looked so much like Luca. It was pretty uncanny. Um, yeah, he he's yeah, we, really incredible. Yeah, it's like like last year in regards like. Even like someone like Killian Hayes, we talked about like that like deceleration, craft, strength, counter, counter heavy brand of scoring that you know is like Luca and Harden esque, and I think Cade certainly falls up towards like the top end of that group, um, where he he is someone who like while is not like overwhelmingly quick is is going to be able to dominate with his um, you know his ability to string together counters and react to, to defenses and then capitalize with, with his awesome handle and strength and, and balance and God tier touch. Um, it's, it, it's all, it's all so good. And we, we've mentioned this before, uh, but like he, he is strong now, but like he, he I think he's going to get way stronger. Like he's going to be huge. Mm-hmm. Like he can add so much weight despite already being pretty strong and like very adept at, at weaponizing that strength. Like it's, it's going to be so good. Like he, he, he He's going to be an unbelievable, like slashing and and scoring prospect player. I mean, just he's, he's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one thing I'll note, like it's it's pretty refreshing to see the scoring and just like that overall offensive package come back. Like I loved watching that Montverde team more than anything else. But like, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't. I was like, I walked away from every Montverde game I watched fully satisfied with Kate no, as an individual dumb. prospect. It, it, yeah, because it was he was a caretaker and he was great at it, but it was it was it was wasteful. Like yeah. they were an unbelievable basketball experience, but yeah. it was wasteful of Kate. Hundred yeah, percent, no yeah. doubt. It wasn't like it wasn't like selfishly were we robbed of like a Cade Cunningham just tearing the entire country apart senior high school season. Hundred percent. But like that Montverde team, I've said it a million times. Like I think that's the greatest high school basketball team ever put together, and no one was touching them. Um, but anyways, like seeing the EYBL aggression and scoring and slashing and the, fl- the floater, like getting downhill, just like I'm going to dip my shoulder and you're going to go flying in like into the basket. Like just seeing that again from Kate is really awesome, refreshing. The biggest question was obviously the shooting. Like it was easy to project forward and see, okay, he has this, this, and this. Like it's likely that he's going to be a confident shooter, but seeing this dude take step backs and, Go like having zero hesitation. You're going to go under my screen. Okay, I'm going to pull this up. And like he was having trouble asserting himself into that Oakland game. I haven't watched the Oral Roberts game yet. I've just seen clips. But like in the Oakland game, he was having trouble kind of asserting himself into the zone at first. And his first bucket was just he came down, he got a ball screen, they gave him a little bit of space, pulled up and drained it, no problem. Like if you told me last year he was going to be doing that a week into his college season and there would still be question marks about who the number one overall pick was going to be. Like I'd tell you you're crazy. Let yet here we are. But Cade is just absolutely incredible. Incredible. Like I don't want to overanalyze anything. I kind of just want to enjoy it because he's truly that good. Though I do think that there's definitely an element with him of like over analysis is required because that's the level that he's. Oh, that's it's it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's the level he's playing at that. It's like, it's really a, it's such an exceptional, special, special level to be to be thinking the game at and just playing at that that he's he like deserves that credit. I think, um, yeah, it'll be interesting down the road to do an all out Cade Luca debate um, because I I think it's interesting. There are a lot of similarities stylistically there. Uh, 
Yeah, he's he's amazing. He's so fun. I'm so glad that we're getting this. I'm so glad that we like just that we've gotten these few games that it's like that it's it's just it's totally lived up lived up to the billing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's 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 wonderful. It's really good. Um, so on the topic of of big initiators, Jake, I know you you wanted to to give a sort of Jalen Johnson spiel. Uh, would you like to go ahead with that? Yes, yeah, so, I mean. So after last year, like looking at my preseason board compared to my final board, like it's inevitable that there are going to be a ton of moving pieces. So when I was doing my preseason board this year, I was like, okay, like I'm going to shoot for the stars on a couple of these guys. And if they hit great and it makes me look good. And if not, we'll readjust with the sample and move on. And Jalen Johnson was one of those guys. I mean, I looked at just a six, nine guy who in the open floor, just freak end to end speed, just quick off the ground, just and just an absolute wizardry playmaker. Like some of the passes, granted, the high school competition he was playing when he got back to Nicolette was not great. But when you get a six-nine guy who's lethal in transition and is capable of throwing live drill passes to the opposite corner and they go right in the shooting pocket with, with pinpoint accuracy and legit velocity, like you, I don't, I personally don't under, underestimate that guy. However, the shooting was a clear question mark coming into the season, and. Ben and I were talking off the air before you got on, Max, and we were saying how, like, although it's very stiff and I don't think it provides any versatility at all for them, it's better than what it has been before, and he's made a couple, and that's something. But I've just been a little bit disappointed and underwhelmed with him as, like, a half-court creator, um, getting walled off on switches a lot, just being indecisive with his dribble moves, and just not being very effective as like a six nine slasher, as I, being as effective as I thought he would be, and it just kind of made me look in the mirror and be like, okay, well, what is this guy? Like with Scotty, Scotty Barnes, that is. We know that okay, he's playing point guard this year, but that's not his role. He's he's going to be a four. He's going to go off the ball. He's going to maybe come off a couple of dribble handoffs, but mainly he's going to be a linking four who wins in short roll situations and can hopefully space the floor and is a great team defender and great plus one passer. Okay, got it. Jalen, I think we were maybe hoping for a little bit more of that, like maybe Ben Simmons transition point guard role, tra- like that usage and maybe, and look, the jury's still out jury's still out, and maybe that's still possible for him. But I know I feel, and I think talking to both of you guys have also been a little bit underwhelmed with his actual creation ability. Yeah. I think as someone once on the higher end, definitely cooling a little bit. Um, it was certainly disheartening to see him get, like routinely stonewalled by by Kofi Coburn against Illinois, um, it was it, it was not good to see Jalen Johnson really really be unable to one to to beat uh to beat him off dribble and then struggling as he has to really take advantage of of getting switched onto smaller guards. I do think it was probably like the best I've seen from him in terms of contact initiation, which contact aversion is definitely an issue with him. But still, being unable to to, to convert anything against what what should be a very favorable matchup um, is concerning. We talked about this a little last week with our pal Jackson Frank. Um, I do think I, I'm still like fairly enthused by the off-ball role. Against uh, Bellarmin, we saw him used as a role man a couple times, which I believe was the first time uh, we saw that all season, uh, where he was, you know, where I think a, a couple plays were where uh, they got him in space and, and, and threw a lob to him. And I think that's definitely just another avenue for, for him to add value. Um, but yeah, I mean, as an initiator, he, he needs a lot of work. And I mean, there's, I, I don't, I mean, there, there's no primary creation. It's all, it's, I think there's, 
you know, transition, maybe some secondary and mismatch attacking, but it's it's definitely like a concerning start for his like real half court creation chops, I think. I feel like a lot of Jalen Johnson is kind of big manny in that like you yeah, you probably want him working on the role because he can pass in those situations. He is a, a skilled finisher. Um and he's he's like quite large and and one would would hope could be a physical player, uh, and then yeah, some handling the open court and and I think, um, I think defensively, yeah, probably brings the most value when if he if you can be getting a lot out of him as a um, like weak side rim protector. Uh, although I, I think his movement has has generally looked pretty good. Um, he's a we- he's just a weird player though. I think I think I think it was our pal Ross Homan who said that. Uh, his optimal role is like Montverde Scotty, Scotty Barnes. Um, yeah. And I think that's probably accurate, but that's just like, you know, that's, that's a hard context to have. Like that's, that's a team that starts a bunch of huge elite shooters and an elite uh, jumbo creator. And, and like, you, you know, and another very, very skilled like defensive anchor, big man. Um, <laughs> not a lot of NBA teams have that. And that was, that was a high school team. Um, so yeah, I just, the, the Jalen Johnson role thing has always been a huge concern to me. I feel like in the half court, if he just played like Isaac Okoro, he would be such a better prospect, mm-hmm. but he can't cause he doesn't he have, can. he doesn't have that burst. He can't play through contact like that. Um, yeah. But and he's yeah, not I, that same, uh, mentality wise in terms of just aggression. Like, yeah. And I, I think that's kind of what he would need to be. Um, although with him, like, because he is bigger, there is some like big manny like high post initiation stuff there that we've talked about in the past a little bit, but yeah, he's a weird player. I I still don't really know how it works. Um, Once, once Duke is back, we're, we're going to need to see much better play from him. And, and I think like we said at the time, the overreactions to that Coppin state game when he really wasn't doing any half court creation were, were really over the top. Um, I think that's showing up a, a, a lot with these guys who had, who had really big games. Um, against very weak competition at the at the very beginning of the season especially when they were able to dominate in transition um i think those guys have, have really fallen back to earth yeah, yeah Max, I think that, oh, go ahead ben yeah I, I was gonna quickly say i think the scotty comparison is interesting in a lot of ways more than just being similar you know in in their ideal role like scotty like we've we've seen scotty barnes in his optimal role but that's not something we've seen for jalen johnson like he's played this like kind of primary perimeter role um, with at Duke, of course, and at Phenom, and and with his high school team. So there's not really like um, any like obviously you know we, we love to project Jalen Johnson into this role, and it, it makes intuitive sense that he could fit into that you know link linking four four five role with his passing and off ball movement and hopefully finishing. But it's not something we've seen yet, which I think is worth considering. Um, and it's definitely going to be an interesting thing to to eventually see once he does get to the NBA and, and how a team decides to use him. And if a team is willing to you know try him in that role and be, be creative to optimize him. Yeah, I was just going to say the last thing I kind of wanted to harp on before, and this was kind of my like big skepticism with Jalen Johnson right now. But going back to the point when Max said like the lineup that theoretically would optimize Jalen Johnson, we're talking about uh, – all, first of all, all intelligent players surrounding him, which maximizes his 
passing and all, everything he brings to the table from that standpoint. Then we're talking about multiple high-level shooters, a high-level playmaker alongside of him, and a versatile center. Like, that's really tough to get in the NBA. And my question would be, is Jalen Johnson's level of impact ever going to be that high enough where you would proactively seek out that team construct alongside of him? Because that's not an infrastructure that many NBA teams just have where Jalen Johnson can go plug and play. And to an extent, when you lose some of the juice as an initiator and a creator that is like, okay, I know you're good for this. And I know you're good for these amount of pick and roll reps. And that number is kind of dwindling in my head as he plays more games and we get a bigger sample. So with that being said, I'm just a little concerned that of like the lack of line of versatility that you can just be like, all right, Jalen, you're going to run with these guys. You're going to run with these guys. And like, I'm just a little bit concerned about, and it's something I'm, I'm going to talk about a little later is just like, I'm concerned with Jalen's ability, Jalen Johnson's ability to kind of just fit in with multiple lineups and still be a positive version of himself. And that's kind of what we're seeing at Duke right now. Yeah. I think yeah. that's a, oh, no. well, what I was just going to say, it, it's, I think it's kind of funny that all of that is definitely the case. And Imagine if he had been available to Minnesota last year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would have been beautiful. I mean, I think it's a worthwhile – and that's always a worthwhile question with these prospects like Jalen Johnson who are obviously incredibly talented and have avenues to success but require real team-building concessions to, to optimize. Like, to what extent is it worth going through that to, to optimize a prospect? Um, and, and, and then if not, like – how much you can value someone who you can only extract, you know, below their, below their ceiling, you know, their ceiling avenue. Like Jalen Johnson, um, e- even someone like Jalen Johnson, who like in his idealized role has, has serious, like, you know, kind of holes and, and, and leaps to make. Like, sure, he's probably a, a big man at heart in his idealized role, but he's only taken like 10 free throws this year. Like he's not physical. And you know, he, he, for just, just an example, he lacks that, that aspect. So, it's definitely like a, a question worth asking. I think, like, to what extent is it is, is it worth it with Jalen Johnson? Like, you know, for a lot of teams, I think the answer is it probably isn't going to be viable. Um, but I mean, it certainly could be for some teams, and I think there's definitely a world where, where he is worth it and he's very good. But it'll be fascinating just to see how he kind of continues to play throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, and he's also he's just an interesting guy to track with how teams treat him as a shooter, because as is, they're giving him space. Like on a, like on those. Jalen Johnson can't get by Joey Hauser possessions. It's like, yeah, but he's also he's also giving him a significant cushion. And like, yeah, if you if you did that with Isaac Okoro, he would accelerate and then go straight through you. But that's not that's not who Jalen Johnson is. He did that like one time. Otherwise, he he fades around away from contact and he loves his little leaners. Um, but it, I'm curious to see what happens when teams really ignore him. I think the concern is that Jalen Johnson is too willing of a shooter for the level of shooter that he is. Um, but we have we've seen him be a, a better cutter than I think could have reasonably been, reasonably been expected. Like he's actually shown, I think, willingness and and some some good timing and intelligence on with some cutting. Uh, so I'm curious to see, like, with different levels of being ignored, how he responds. Because um, yeah, he's just he's a guy who has to I think learn how to play pretty differently from from the way that he has in the past to be a, a, a successful player. Yeah, and that goes back to the point about him, you know, not playing the 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 complementary four-man role. Like, though though he has traits that lend him to be able to play that role, he still has to learn how to do it and actually do it before um, he can add value there. So, 
Actually, can I can I go on a tangent about Moses Moody here because it's related and we don't have this on the schedule. Yeah, always always can talk about Moses Moody. I think Moses Moody is like the the opposite of this in that he has experience playing like every single role from from like near primary handler, or like you know one A one B in sure, AU. In AU, yeah. To like junior year, Montverde was like very much like a secondary guy, uh, and then senior year, Montverde like very much a glue guy who who really didn't have to do much um at least like offensively um and i think that he's benefited a ton from that just because you see how well-rounded of a player he is that he has such a he has such a good feel for spacing and cutting um that like he's very 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 comfortable with his footwork attacking off the catch um that he that he is really good passing in those situations already. I think that he's just a guy who so clearly has is is now perfectly well suited to this this like off ball wing role that that's his optimal role. And I think that he's gotten there by virtue of experiencing all these different ways of playing basketball. Which kind of gets back to what we talked about back when we had TJ Farrick on over the summer. Um, it just experiencing basketball through all these different. Um, you know, points of view will will really enable you to have the full picture, and I think that 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 very much does help with with Moses Moody, who just really it's just like perfectly in the flow of the game. It, it's just like everything that he does is perfectly in the flow of the game, uh, and I don't think that that's necessarily the case for a guy who's like a former primary initiator who's just now trying to learn how to play this very specific weird role, weird role. Uh, with, with like with Jalen Johnson. Yeah, I mean, just another thing that makes Moody so special to me that I've always loved is like it really it shows you how smart he is. Like, yeah, the defense gets applauded and rightfully so. He's an incredible on ball. Def- he's a very good on ball defender and an incredible team defender. But the offense, like his offensive intelligence, is kind of underrated to me. Like he knows how to pick his spots on every single possession. It's like, okay, you're gonna come at me charging. I'm gonna attack you off this closeout. And he perfectly, like, he's really good at not only reading his primary defender, but reading the secondary defender. Like, when he takes dribble pull-ups, it's never like, oh, you really could have had something there. Like, he takes dribble pull-ups when people really slide over and cut off his lane to the rim. And he, and he reads and reacts. Like, he's just so quick to see everything on the floor. And I, I just, like, absolutely love him as a prospect and have really enjoyed him tr- making that jump to the college level and, like, finding his stroke and fat finding his spots and finding his efficiency. Like he's just a really smart and good basketball player. And when you're looking up and down the line at like teams that are drafting and what they're looking for and the holes they're looking to fill, it's just like, it's as simple as everyone could use a Moses Moody. And it's really that simple. Like he's the opposite of Jalen Johnson in the facet. And that's why I think you even brought him up, Max, is that you can fit Moses Moody into every single lineup. There's not a lineup that says, oh, we already have one of those guys because you can't have enough of those guys. If they're actually capable of putting the ball on the floor and making these skip passes that he's making and attacking closeouts, getting downhill, like that's just an an extremely valuable player. And I love that I can literally picture him playing with anyone on an NBA floor. And that's the thing. It's like no matter the lineup, you can can have him in this complimentary off-ball wing role and he he's going to add the same amount of value because you you like there's no well I, I mean there is but there isn't really a um like diminishing returns to intelligent spacing and intelligent cutting and and like you know 
uh, impeccable footwork attacking off the catch. And it's just like that he, yeah, it's just that he, he has found a way to really get the most out of his physical abilities through very, very strong technical ability and intelligence. Um, and every, everything just seems very, very natural and in flow with him. Uh, I think, I think he was, he was just like so obvious, um, as, as a guy that size with that length, that intelligence and that well-rounded of skill set, I think he he was just very, very obvious. Um, and I, I think he's, he's, he's for sure going to end up, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe not in the consensus because like Vassell didn't end up being a consensus top 10 guy, but Moses Moody will, will remain a top 10 guy for me. And, and depending on, on whether, you know, these, these, um, more, uh, variable guys at the top really don't turn it around. He could end up being very high. Cause it's just, it's so valuable to have Moses Moody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what, aside from just like being able to do a lot of different things on a basketball court by virtue of playing a lot of different roles, I think he kind of like, you can see those, those on ball creation skills working into his off ball game that just, just makes it like, just makes him like the perfect off ball wing, like in, in truly every way. Like, like we talked about, like, I think he, he as like an on ball attacker, um, and you be this is very like footwork and, and rip and, and strength and, and pull up based. And you see that translate to, you know, perfect, uh, you know, per- perfect off catch, uh, attacking. He has like the same, you know, like a uh, stutter rip move that Cade loves that, you know, it's just like a Montverde thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like he has That's like, right. they have the same mannerisms yeah. the, yeah, exactly. off the catch mannerisms. It's yeah. Like, it's like, he has it, that. The, the rocker step every time like like the rocker step like just like the the patience and explosion at, at which he jabs and like the counters with his spin moves uh, and his extension finishes and ability to you know again like k lower his shoulder and, and absorb contact and then you know being able to see the floor not only so good at picking out spots off ball sliding into little creases um to find openings and uh, you know, you know, excellent. You know, when when defenses collapse to him, uh, when he's attacking off the catcher, or off of a pin down or whatever, he's able to hit laydowns and simple passes, which again are reflective of I think those skills as a primary. Where you know he has those basic passes down off of his own off of his own scoring gravity, which was something he you know was pretty routinely doing um, in UIBL, and then now is perfectly translating to off of the ball. Um, so I think. Yeah, just a blending. Yeah, just having as many skills and as much experience in different roles as possible is is great. And it's clear that um, Moses Moody, like especially you know playing playing on ball, has definitely lended him really well to being kind of a perfect off ball player because he understands like what on ball players do and like how to best maximize them and and how to play off of uh, how to play off of them. It's and it's truly again like opposite of, of Jalen Johnson who has played the same role every at every at every at every stop versus Moses Mooney who you know even this Arkansas role while more more analogous to like junior year Montvert is, is still different. Like it's still it's still not exactly the same. You know? Yeah. The only the only concern I've had with Moody really so far is well his his hips look a little slow. Uh like I like his lateral movement, but he he seems to turn his hips a little slowly. And and the shot process is is slow. Um which is, it's not the end of the world, and he's a very good shooter, and having the size really, really helps. But the shot is, is a little bit slow. Um, 
though he he can he definitely compensates for that somewhat with like really really good setup really good footwork off the catch and off the move um but yeah he's he's just a really good wing prospect um i i enjoy him so much he's he's so fun to watch the wait is finally over football's in full effect with many teams strutting their stuff you might not be at a game this year but you can still be in on the action at bet online BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Support for the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. The holidays are here. Have you made your wish list yet? Our sponsor today has the number one wished-for gift of the year. Manscaped, the best in men's below- and above-the-belt grooming. Manscaped is here to ensure that you're taking care of your manhood and your nose hairs with their new performance package. The Manscaped Performance Package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle and makes for the perfect gift. Imagine opening an attractive box that says, your balls will thank you, with the most sought-after gadgets and scents a person could find. Included in this new package is the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, which is waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Look guys, 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Why not use the best tools for the job here? This bundle includes the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, the best trimmer on the market for your balls, butt, and body. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code armchair. What are you waiting for? Go whack your weeds and make Santa proud. Um, he's the best. (laughs) Yeah, that I think pretty naturally takes us into this discussion that we were intending to have of, uh, complimentary players. And I I think that it's very relevant in this draft that's kind of been billed as really chock full of superstars when it's, it's, I think very much not, uh, I think Cade is, uh, Mobley is is his whole, is, is his own thing. Uh, and I think probably kind of qualifies as that level of prospect as well. Um, and then after that, it's all guys who are not going to be the sun, the moon, and the stars. They can do things on the ball, but they're, you know, they're not James Harden uh, or Luka Doncic. Um, so, Jake, what what was it that you really wanted to get into with this topic? So, over the past couple of months, and the Houston Rockets kind of falling flat on their face in the bubble really made me look in the mirror. And, like, I had somewhat been a proponent of – I didn't think it could help you win a championship, but I had thought that you could get relatively far with this, like, heliocentric style offense if your creator was special enough. Now, I actually, like, don't think that at all. And I had been watching – I watched some Rockets film. I watched some 2019 – like, film from the 2019 Raptors – who like notably have had like Pascal Siakam was kind of their third or fourth guy. And knowing how special he is as like a ball hander, we saw in the regular season this past year, just the idea of having multiple creators and you really need that to win unless you like have a LeBron James and Anthony Davis and probably the two best players in the world, maybe Um, that's kind of a cheat code, but I was kind of going through the list and tell me if I'm missing anyone off the top of my head, just from you guys. Like I literally just wrote this down a second ago of these are like 
primary players that can be the complete offensive engine on an NBA championship team. I have LeBron, Luka, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Nikola Jokic. And Jokic is like, eh, for me. Um, I I think it's it's tough to say because there are guys who can be, I think the like the clear one or one A with a second guy who's like relatively close, but you you know what I mean. And then yeah, and and then even with those guys, I think there are people there are guys on your list who you're gonna you're gonna need other stuff like Kawhi. I don't oh, like 100%. if Kawhi was the only, yeah. If Kawhi was the only like creation option that you had and was just surrounded by shooters, maybe maybe this iteration of Kawhi who seems to have made a step forward as a passer, but even then, um, yeah, I think you still need more playmaking. But no, and even even more to my point, like we're talking about. So on this list, you have LeBron, Luca, James Harden, Kevin Durant, who are just exceptional prospects. Like you look back at their film, you look back at their stat profiles, like wow, that guy was a clear-cut stud. And then you have Seth Curry, the most transcendent shooter the game's ever seen, Kawhi Leonard, maybe the most unprecedented developmental story we've seen in a long, long time, and Nikola Jokic, the most unseen whatever. We're not even talking about Jokic as a prospect, but the best big man passer of all time. So basically what I'm getting is at the bar is incredibly high for this so-called quote-unquote primary. And I think like I'm guilty of it as well. We a lot of times get caught up in saying like, okay, this is a potential primary. And I think it happened a lot with this class, like thinking about Jonathan Kaminga as maybe a primary ball handler, when in reality, that's just not the case. And from an NBA perspective, if you really look at the game from a possession-possession basis, there's every player goes on and off the ball. And offenses are extremely intertwined between their actions, between their schemes, you need to play on and off, and everyone is going to play on and off. So this class especially, and this starts at the top from someone like Suggs, who I am v- very high on solidifying himself as a top three guy to me. And while I don't think he's going to be your maybe primary, primary, primary initiator, do I think he can be a very valuable creator on a championship team? Absolutely. I, I do. I-, I think he's that good, and I think he's shown us that he can be that good. But And then it also trickles down to, and these are the guys I really want to talk about, because how rare is it, given the list of primaries that we just talked about, that you're going to find that level of player in the late lottery or the teens or the 20s? So instead of kind of writing guys off because they're smaller off guards or something like that, I want to kind of this year especially look at guys as holistic basketball players and say, okay, what skills do you have and how can you apply that to the game on a possession-by-possession basis? And um, a couple of guys I really want to talk about with that are Jared Butler, who is near and dear to my heart, um, DJ Stewart, and Josh Christopher. And basically, like the case for Stewart and Butler are the they are like these combo guys in theory. They don't really fit. Um, they're not necessarily on ball guys, and they're a little small to be your theoretical two. But with someone like Butler. I love that he has some shooting versatility. He's comfortable running off ball screens or off ball screens getting his feet set. He's a very competent catch-and-shoot, three-point shooter. So right off the bat, you have someone that can play off of it. And then while his decision-making, we can all agree, isn't up to par for someone I'd want to be the lead of my offense, he's has the best handle in the class, in my opinion, so far until someone else proves otherwise, and is an absolute killer in ball screens. Just murders, drop coverages, he toys with bigs. And so if we're talking about a guy like that, if the defense looks like it does this year and he continues that, like – 
is it feasible that he is just a very like good complimentary guard that can just come in and do like his signature things where like, I think his handle is a signature skill. And that's kind of what I'm getting at with Stewart is like, I think DJ Stewart shooting could be a signature skill while he's six, two, six, three. I think he could be an incredibly versatile shooter, both off the bounce, all, all running off movement, off the catch. And with DJ Stewart, we're also talking about someone who is a really, really, really good off-ball player and always has been. Like, he's a great cutter, a great relocator. He finds his spots. And when then with Josh Christopher, finally, he's more of, like, your traditional off-ball guy because he's 6'5". And with him, you run into the issue that, like, he's not really comfortable – or he's comfortable. He's definitely comfortable. I shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> he's not very good at shooting catch-and-shoot threes yet. However, that's the simple fix – because then we're talking about someone with an incredible physical profile who has been unstoppable at the rim this year. His combination of counters, craft, skill, and just like really, really impressive vertical explosion. Like when he gets up, he gets up. And I also love how he's wired. Like if, when he gets going downhill, there's no stopping him. So those are three guys that I really want to focus on. And I think they tie up this whole like spiel that I've been rambling on for way too long now. But basically to like, identify and understand that to get a primary like they're gonna have to be a clean cut stud and i think uh and a prime example i was like donovan mitchell like donovan mitchell some might say was a diamond in the rough whatever fell way too far in the lottery but when you, you we see it like when donovan mitchell is tasked with too much creation things go poorly and you're always going to need that second complimentary guard that can run a second side pick and roll you're always going to need a secondary guard who can go in and create his shot when the defense is already tilted and this year especially, I really want to focus on finding those guys and finding like certain signature skills where it's like, okay, that is certainly translatable and that's going to provide value at the NBA level. Yeah, I think that it's important to acknowledge that maximum you're getting one Cade in a class and you're usually not getting a Cade. You're usually not getting a guy who really does look like he is going to be instrumental in running your offense on almost every single possession possession. Um, there are not, not very many of those guys. And like, you shouldn't even aspire to be that guy. Cause it's, it's like impossible. But the question then emerges, like, what else are you doing for me? So, so yes, you can, you can handle some second side pick and rolls. You can handle some pick and rolls and maybe it won't be as efficient of a, of a play as, you know, it would be for Cade. But what else are you doing for me then when you're not handling the ball? Mm-hmm. And for someone like Dyer Williams, who is not a, a um, you know, is not a primary necessarily, if he's running off of that, like that, if he's engaged in that that act that action that Stanford runs in the corner with the off-ball screening, like while something else is happening on the other side of the floor, that's highly valuable because you're occupying defenders, you're potentially getting you're potentially off the ball, creating an open look for yourself. Um could be likely a three, but it could could very well be um, at the rim as well. So you're you're just creating confusion. You're occupying defenders. You're making everything just more difficult for the for the defense and possibly creating a shot. My problem is if you're if you're Jared Butler, who I'll give you is is a very good movement shooter. He has really good footwork there. Um, he does he has genuine utility off the ball, but he is he is small. I I'm, I'm I, I know people who who watched more Baylor this year say that he's made strides defensively. I haven't watched that much uh, Baylor this year, but in the past I've not been wild about Jared Butler's defense, and he's Fair. small and lacking in versatility. Um, 
what like what else is Jared Butler doing for me when he doesn't have the ball in his hands? Um, especially on the defensive end, but but on the offensive end, um, you know, where how is he presenting threats? What what is he doing to to stress the defense there? And then yeah, what is he giving me defensively? And I think that's kind of the problem with the non-major on-ball load. We'll say instead of primary, but just mm-hmm. a guy who's not going to shoulder a major on-ball load effectively. What are they doing for me otherwise? Because like it, if that guy is just another six four guard, it can be a little bit of a difficult proposition. Now, if you're talking about someone like Moses Moody, who's six six um, and a very good on and off ball defender, then things get a lot more interesting because you know on every possession where the ball is not in in Moses Moody's hands, he's adding a ton of value. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just to me, it's like yeah, if you're not playing with the ball in, in your hands, what are you doing otherwise to add value? And there are ways to do that for sure. Like, you know, Xavier Tillman is a guy who you know, pretty much adds all of his value without having the ball in his hands. Uh, and I think does that well enough to be a, a top 20 guy in his class. But, you know, it, it's it's harder if you're if you're six four. No, 100 yeah. percent. Oh, I just, Ben, before you went, I just want to clarify, like that wasn't my, you know, goes to win a top 20 pick on Jared Butler spiel. It was more of like okay, this is how basketball actually works. And like, while it would be great if we could simplify like this guy's on ball, this guy's off ball, it's not really how it works. And like these guys become intertwined a lot more than like, it makes, it makes our jobs a lot harder. Like that we can't just dig signify, like separate the two and say, okay, you're here, you're here. Um, And it was kind of just to look at those guys and not necessarily through the lens of like, okay, he's not my point guard off with you. And like, however, it is worth noting. And I, um, I, this is like, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if Ben was going to go here that like, if now you were going to adopt this lens, you have to re- also realize that you're operating under like the thinnest margin of error possible when we're talking about these off ball, smaller guards. So while I'm preaching you to like, look at them with open mind, it's not just like, eh, throw everything out the window. Like he'll be able to create his own shot and guard the one. And that's cool. Like that's probably not going to be enough. So while you do have to go into the open mind, it's also remembering, like Max said, like, look, what are you going to do for me to make it worthwhile? Yeah. I think with these non-primaries, it's an interesting philosophical debate of creation versus scalability um, on, on both ends of the floor, really. Um, but I mean, offensively, I think it's very interesting um, to where I think I'm certainly um, like in the past, I've been pretty anti um, like uh, like non-primary creators just because I, I, I value scalability a ton. And I think I, and I still do for, for the highest level of, of winning. But I, I do think there comes a point where you kind of we're having someone like like Jared Butler who can really who can really win in second side pick and rolls. Um, and though, you know, he, he has, maybe he doesn't add like a ton of off ball value and he's going to bleed quite a bit of value on defense. Um, I think there's certainly a a valid argument to to make and one that you, you make Jake that like there comes a point where that like you need that extra creation to really win. Like, unless you have one of these like LeBron or or like Luca or Cade types, which most teams are just not, but I do think a a balance is important because there's a very fine line between like, these valuable secondary creators and like wrong initiator types who really just can't scale and, and uh, kind of in, inhibit um, better teams rather than, than add to them. And that's like kind of like a, a crux of my concern with Josh Christopher is I think like 
he he just screams like wrong initiator to me. And well, I do think there's certainly um, an avenue for him to be uh, a, a real creator. Though I mean, I'm just like very worried about his like awareness and decision making, and that that's a whole different issue that he has to improve. But it's assuming he can. Like, it's just Josh Christopher. I think is is very clearly not good enough to be a primary. Um, and if he's not that, does he really add? Like, does he add anything off ball? Like, how does he scale next to better players? Um, and I think that's that's definitely like a, a, a debate worth having. Is like, is it is it more valuable to have that the creation that someone like Christopher will bring, or someone who you know can't add that that necessary creation, who is going to you know be be a much better spot up shooter, or movement shooter, or, or a cutter, or screener, or, or ball mover, or even even defender. Um, I, again, like for, for someone for someone like Christopher, I I, I generally negative for winning basketball because I just don't think he's scalable. I don't I don't see him being scalable enough. Um, for for players like Butler and especially Stewart, I'm certainly more sympathetic because I do think they have real scalable skills while bringing creation Stewart Stewart especially. But yeah, I mean, it's certainly like for most teams that aren't blessed with the luxury of someone like Luca. It's a, it's a, I think it's a conversation that you have to have when when you're building your roster is to what extent do you sacrifice um scalability with your star players for someone who someone else who can really generate, you know, high level offense and how can you compensate for their, you know, probable defensive weaknesses with a lot of these smaller guard creators. It's mm-hmm. it's it's really fascinating. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, there's no there's no clear-cut right way to do it on either end and you're always like you can't cover everything in basketball. You, you just can't. You're always where you gain in one area, you're going to be lacking in another, and it's up to someone else on your team or someone else on the floor to pick you up and cover for you. And that's just the nature of the game. Um, I mean, quickly, my Josh Christopher case would be that like through watching him throughout high school and now, um, I would say his two biggest like detrimental flaws on on the offensive end. Defense is a different story that we don't even need to get into right now. But on offense that basically like i think he struggles like standstill burst like deriving from an iso situation i think he gets like walled off a bit too much for how often he takes on these iso situations and that's also the nature of arizona state's uh dykeman park offense but so and also his decision making like his decision making on a consistent basis once he gets walled off um it's not great however he has a pretty legit handle, especially when you consider his frame. He's someone who's six five to like two fifteen, and I think can pack on a lot more muscle based on like how strong his lower body is and how explosive he is. It's just a real athlete. Um, he had a play where he kind of came. He came off a dribble handoff, got downhill, took one hard dribble downhill, and like hit his defender with a nasty cross. Changed directions in a second and hit like a tough fadeaway elbow jumper and while those elbow jumpers are rather inefficient he's shooting really well on them throughout the season and obviously it's a short small sample size but that's certainly something to track like is it possible to me that josh christopher is like a much better shot maker than he is shooter yeah i actually think that's probable based on his shot selection and usage all throughout high school and the situations he's been put in and as like in his development process i think that's certainly plausible so with josh christopher you're getting someone who has handled the ball all throughout high school in AAU, has probably taken on a bigger creation load than he de- deserves at Arizona State just because of his recruiting ranking. However, I think, and I was telling Max this, I think draft slot and team context is going to be very important for him. If Josh Christopher is like your new guy 
and you're and he's like the brand new toy in the organization you're just going to give him the ball out and like say go ahead josh go rock out like those turnouts are are not going to be very positive however if you put him in more an off-ball role you get him getting going downhill and movement actions and the catch and shoot three can like come around to a respectable extent and he can really leverage that rim gravity which i think has a chance to be like a borderline elite skill for a guard just based on his like craft there his athletic tools and just the counters he has at the rim i i mean i just think we're talking about a potentially very impactful like different prospect you know someone who can offer creation that doesn't come at the expense of physicality or size or explosiveness or rim gravity which usually does when we're talking about these smaller guards so nonetheless like again there's really no perfect prospect especially when we get into these late lotto te- mid-teens guys and you're always giving up something. But I think Josh Christopher is pretty fascinating to me. Yeah, I won't speak in too much depth on Christopher because I, I haven't I don't think I've even watched a full Arizona State game yet. But, in, but from clips and from seeing him in the past, I think there's something to be said for being a uniquely powerful athlete um, and what that can mean in terms of rim pressure. Uh, like he needs to hit catch threes. But if he can do that, I, I do think that there is something there with his size and length and frame and just being so powerful uh, and explosive. I, like they, yeah, I mean, there, there, there are some like aesthetic explosion similarities to Anthony Edwards that are just rarer to see in, in a prospect, um, even if he is much less refined. Oh, and, and there's certainly some Anthony Edwards um, shot – uh, yeah, shot distance distribution. I, looking at his synergy profile last night, um, for a guy that athletic, the mid range to around basket ratio is just not where you would want it to be. But again, small sample size, and hopefully he can turn that around. Yeah, but I mean, like I'm, I liked R.J. Hampton. Like guy, guys who have size and some some sort of handling ability and can get running in transition and be effective there. And provided they hit their spot ups, mm-hmm. um, can be attacking in these advantage situations, and you know less entrusted with with um, you know a, a heavy on ball role where they're churning through a lot of reads. Like you can get value out of these mm-hmm. guys. Yeah, and no. I think that's kind of your whole point, uh, Jake, is that you can get value out of these guys. You just need to be a little bit more open minded and a little bit less focused on the fact that Josh Christopher makes some awful decisions uh and takes terrible shots like there's 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 a player to 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 see there no 100 percent, and that's kind of came together full circle and that was the overall point i think we got there eventually um however long it took me to properly or improperly articulate that that was the point i wanted to get across um ben do you want to should we do our next topic in this part or in part two uh, uh it might take kind of long but we also have a lot left to discuss uh sure we can do one more and then cut it okay cool um let's talk about strength uh because i think strength. it's relevant to a bunch of guys we already talked about it with cade uh how cade uses strength to create advantages um whether that's uh finishing through people or getting guys stuck on his hip and maintaining them there or just backing down people 
brutally like he did against Texas Southern in a really genuinely mean-spirited way, just going straight through everyone. Um, so Cade uses strength for advantage creation. Um, BJ Boston tries to <laughs> like uses physicality more to try to create advantages, and he fails because of a lack of strength, I think, a lot, that when BJ is dropping his shoulder into guys, they're just not moving. And then his his you know little extension finishes after that or, or weird leaners are not actually open like they used to be. And so he still has the physicality. And that's a cool, that's a really cool mentality to see from him, especially from a guy who who is uh slight of frame. And that's always been who he is, and it's something that I've that I've liked about him so much. Uh but it's he's just failing because of strength. Um Zaire Williams, I think it's shown up a lot, uh, especially chasing off-ball screens, that he gets clipped and just flies. Flies. He goes yeah, like, flying. Just like 15 feet. There was the one in like, the end of the UNC game. Yeah, that's the one I'm yeah. thinking about. So, like, there are like three. The and there's been a, there was one that, um, the game he went off in the Alabama game. There was one where he just Yeah, spat, there's like, a bad one in that one. Yeah. He, it's, um, <laughs> But yeah, he just gets clipped on these off-ball screens and goes flying. And obviously has had problems like being bumped offline as a driver. And he yes, he has burst issues, but it's just compounded by the fact that like any sort of physicality and he kind of just crumples. Um, and then the the one that I've noticed a little bit, and, and this is a, a little concerning to me from a projection standpoint, is with Mobley. If you get like physical with Evan Mobley on a, on a tag – I think you can kind of, you can disrupt his role maybe more than than you normally would be able to, and I do worry a little bit about how that affects Mobley's role gravity, um, but I, it's not too much of a concern, um, especially because you can, he can be used in so many diverse ways, and like I think the, even like one one like the the main example that I'm thinking of, I think he even got a foul call, um, so yeah, I just I it, it's we always talk about how important strength is and how it's, it's an athletic attribute that is not traditionally discussed when talking about uh, athleticism. And it's such an important part of that. And it's been so relevant for, for a lot of prospects that, that I think we've all liked a lot, like Xavier Tillman and Grant Williams. Um, but I just think that those are some good concrete examples of why strength can be so important. Like watch, watch Cade Cunningham play against Texas Southern and tell me that strength is not a crucial athletic ability that has very, very real bearing on, on basketball. Or, watch Zyra try to chase off screens. Or watch Keontae Johnson against Boston College. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just, I mean, I think it's important to note like how strength blends with other skills and like how strength development could be like more or less beneficial for different prospects. Um, like for example, like strength development would be like massive for BJ Boston because he has uh, the elite handle to, to create the initial advantages. I mean, I think what I and you Max as well, and a lot of people underrated was just like how, you know, that he really wouldn't be able to do anything with those advantages that he creates because of lack of strength and, and burst. But if he's, you know, if he's able to add strength, and you know, actually move defenders when he lowers his shoulder, then that's hugely that that's hugely additive to to his to his offensive value because he has that you know initial advantage creation. But I think for for someone with Zaire offensively, um, just as a comparison, like adding strength is obviously an important would be an important component. But 
isn't as useful because he can't dribble anyway, and he's even slower burst burst wise than than BJ. Um, so, I, so I think uh, again, just considering strength as like as uh, not just like a, a single skill, but as a, a component of of the entire offensive or defensive package and how it would and how it elevates a, a prospect is important. Besides, you know, just just strength being a, a key thing to consider. And again, why we like we prioritize and, and strong prospects and like why we both love all love or at least Max and I loved Isaac Coro so much. Like just strength is hugely important at the NBA level. Um, and I think it's like, pro- it's definitely like harder to develop than at least functional, functional application of strength is a lot harder to develop and really add than I think a lot of mainstream or people would think that, oh, you know, it's this skinny guy, he's going to add strength and, and be fine. But even, even if he can add the requisite strength, which is one thing, being able to, to functionally apply it and have the necessary other tools to 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 utilize it is is critical as well. So, yeah, yeah, that, that like it's it's interesting to consider someone like BJ Boston who plays so physically and is so lacking in strength in contrast with Jalen Johnson, who we were talking about earlier. That he's yeah. he's a strong guy. He just doesn't use it very often, yeah. and and like is fairly contact averse. Like it, it it'll be very interesting to track if Jalen Johnson improves his physicality. Or if BJ Boston improves his strength and maintains the physicality, um, I'm inclined to think that the mentality is harder to fix because, like, that, that's a hard, like, that's it's an aspect of, of wiring that I think is is hard to fix, and and really wanting to play through contact is is something that's difficult, and I think there are probably underlying physical things that maybe are harder that you need, really need like a, a biomechanics background to see. But there, there, yeah, there are plenty of guys who, who, I, I'm, I'm just very skeptical of people improving physicality. As a yeah, I mean, we see someone like Ben Simmons who, like, still has been unable to really, you know, like make make significant strides in his willingness to uh, embrace contact and and play with physicality. Um, and I, I mean, like, Jason Tatum. Yeah, still. yeah, Jason Tatum. It's just like people who really have like. It's, and then yeah. the motivation varies. Like with Simmons, I, I'm sure some of it is is a, a, a very mental thing because of free throw shooting. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't want to shoot free throws. But yeah, yeah. it's it, it's really it's a tough thing to know. And you get you get into areas that are really, really hard as amateur analysts to, to get at from a psychology standpoint and a biomechanics. Yeah, no, I mean, personally, I think this is, I just think there's some things wiring wise in basketball that are extremely, extremely hard to fix. And like a little thing, like I was very like the Josh Green finishing thing last year killed me. And it wasn't because he would flat out miss with the left hand. It was that he would go to any extent to avoid finishing with his left hand. And like, that is clearly a mental barrier that is just like, and I'm skeptical of that, like changing, like you don't think he's had a million coaches tell him, just go up with your left hand, just go up with your left hand. Like I can tell you he has, and it still doesn't change. So I'm willing to bet on BJ, like putting on more muscle. However, the stuff that I've like been very concerned with BJ is just he's it, he doesn't look like he's exploding out of any of these dribble moves. Like the ball is still on a string when he's not getting like when people get up in his stuff, he gets very rattled and not psychologically rattled, but physically rattled. He, he's very slender. He's taller, so higher center of gravity. Kind of just gets pushed around a lot. And even when he does get these guys off their st- like 
even when he does shake him with a combo move or it actually will like get his stuff off, getting downhill just seems like difficult for him. And I think it, it's just going to be tough for him in the near future and in, in the short term to really put forth better production because I don't see how this is changing this year. And like midseason is, I don't think he's going to become burstier, become stronger or whatever. I mean, the handle is still there, but you also see these instances where he will just get bullied at the point of attack, just like completely bullied. And I think that just goes to show like, am I still in on BJ Boston as a secondary creator, especially if the shot comes around? And just as we talked about someone who's going to go off the ball, he's going to attack when the ball comes to him and be a, a, a cog and a create and a, a, like a part of your offense. Yes. I'm very in on that. Um, I think looking back on it, all three of us kind of thought he had like prior lead, initiator potential that was probably a little bit overzealous looking back on it just thinking about the yeah tools. It, was, it was wrong yeah it was just wrong like it just wrong and yeah. you, we always say like there there's no you you learn from everything and i mean i had the caleb love thing like the max can't wait to tell me he told me so whatever like the, evaluating pre-college people it's not very easy like everyone kind of looks good and when everyone looks good, you need to really sit there and say, okay, but are you going to get that off? And with BJ, there should have been more of, mm, I don't know if you're going to get that off. And just with Zaire too, like Zaire, Zaire had a game winner in one of the games that I watched. And it was, do you know, did you guys watch that game where Zaire had the game winner at the end, like a free throw line pull up? Mm, I don't think so. So basically at the end of the game, they ISOed Zaire and he got the ball and he started to go with like 10 seconds left. Then there was about like eight seconds of him getting plucked and shoved off the like line and just going east. west. Okay. I remember. Yeah. He's just going east, west, like trying to grab the ball for like eight seconds. And then like, finally he gathers, gathers himself one dribble to the spot, rise up, cans it like game over. Like just be, Literally, after watching him for a couple games at Stanford, that is the quintessential pre-college Zaire Williams clip. Just not being able to like, and we've always said with Zaire, he's super tall. He has a fluid one, like the fluid release off the bounce. Um, he's a high release point, and it's just smooth. So like his ability to create, like he doesn't create the separation that Josh Christopher creates, or even like BJ was creating in high school. But it didn't really matter because he'll just shoot right over you. Like Kevin Durant doesn't. That's why, like, post-Achilles Kevin Durant, he doesn't need to create that much separation. He's going to shoot over you. I'm not comparing Zaire to Kevin Durant, but it's the same concept. The issue I have with Zaire is that he literally can't even get to his spots because if he tries to rip off a closeout, he just gets a little bump and then he's gone. And, like, that's the part that I really struggle with Zaire. And I'm going to stay patient because he's clearly a late bloomer physically. He's clearly hurt right now, so he already wasn't explosive. So, then he's less explosive than he already was, which is certainly going to do you no favors at the power five, power five level. And that's just the thing with him is like, I don't even see him getting to his spots easily anymore, let alone creating the separation that you would like to see for a wing shot creator. But listen, I, I definitely am in the camp that it is easier to improve physical strength when you have access to a strength and conditioning program in the league than it is to like, break these mental barriers that some of these prospects are plagued with. Yeah, I, I'm not that worried about Zaire, honestly, because like you said, it's just his play style mm. is not really dependent on being able to move toward the rim or dribble or 
take contact. Oh. Like I, I kind of, I feel like I kind of expected this. Maybe not to like the comical extent that he can't dribble. No, yeah, hundred percent. I before I don't want to cut you off, but I am definitely, no, no, I'm definitely um, more like content to look myself in the mirror and say, okay, like this is Zaire with a like bummed out knee. That's okay. Like we're gonna build on that, and you obviously still see some of the stuff. I am definitely much more concerned with BJ because despite having Zaire really, really high his usage was always going to be more off ball and just as an incredible tall wing shooter. Yeah. With BJ, I do think there are ways that it can look better. That's kind of the one thing that I would take issue with. Like, yes, he just looks slow. He looks slow on both. ends. I was going to say the defense too. Yeah. His movement just looks really poor, but on, on the ball. I mean, we, we've, we've talked about this. uh, I think last week that, he can still create space for jumpers. Um, and those are going to fall at a better rate than they have. Is he the level of shooter that he needs to be? I'm concerned about that. Mm-hmm. Probably very possibly not, but it, he, he is not like a catastrophically bad shooter. Um, so I think that that is a clear Avenue to looking better. And then because he is a guy who does sell his dribble moves with his feet, with his body, that once he also has a threat of a shot that people really have to respect, if that's the case, that hopefully that helps mitigate some of the burst issues as well. Um, so that's that's my that's kind of the, I think the story of how it turns around for BJ this year that that the shot becomes a very serious threat. So he's scoring off of the shot, and that he has another thing that defenses really have to respect. And because he's so capable of of selling these movements already that that compounds really nicely. So I think that's the way that it works out better, but yeah, it's been bad. And I've, ch- I've changed definitely my projection of, of his role. Um, though I will say when they've played against zones, um, Kentucky or primarily against zones, you've seen more of what makes BJ such a good off ball player. I think that his cutting has really shown up. Uh, and something I've, I've just always liked about BJ is another developmental thing that getting to play with Sharif, I think really mm-hmm. allowed him to develop as a very smart, and, and valuable off-ball player in a way that's unique for such a big-time prospect. Um, so I, I think that seeing that that's still there is good. And I, I have some – at least I can see an avenue to how it gets a little bit better on the ball. But, yeah, yeah I, I thought too highly of BJ, and it, it sucks. Yeah. All right, should we cut part one here? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I was like – I think we have to add Zaire, Kevin Durant to the Preps Pro Comparison Hall of Fame with Nico and Steph Curry. So <laughs> – uh, yeah, Again, I, I think that there, there there is something valuable stylistically there about the idea that like when you're that large, it doesn't really matter if guys can pick your handle all the time because it's, you're yeah, it's, dribble. It's, yeah, you don't it's, need to dribble. It's, so. it's the idea that con- your contest doesn't matter. Like that's yeah. basically what it is. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll talk more about this stuff um, on the next part. Again. Thank you to Jake for coming on and giving us his, his time and his insight. You can follow him on Twitter at Jake in the Paint. Jake, is there anything that you'd like to plug that you're working on or anything? Um, last week, I just released uh, a philosophical draft piece highlighting processing speed and ways I identify it while watching film and kind of what it means towards long-term projection. I think it's the most important, like, quote-unquote, non-basketball skill. Um, we always talk about, like, athletic tools and whatnot, but – 
since processing speed doesn't really have a quantifiable number, I think people kind of just brush it under the rug, which is lazy and wrong. You shouldn't do that. Um, so you should go read that and then apply some of the stuff that I laid out to your own philosophy. And yeah, hope you guys read and like that. Yeah. So go give that a look. Um, you can follow the pod on Twitter at prep number two pro pod. Follow Max at Max A. Carlin. You can follow me at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. And with that, we will see you all in the next part. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.